Good morning, everybody. I'm going to read um, Isaiah 40, 25 through 31 in the message version. You can find this in page, on page 881 in the CEB in the Pews Bibles. Okay. So who is like me? Who holds a candle to me, says the holy? Look at the night skies. Who do you think made all this? Who marches this army of stars out each night, counts them off, calls each by name, so magnificent, so powerful, and never overlooks a single one? Why would you ever complain, O Jacob, or whine Israel, saying, God has lost track of me. He doesn't care what happens to me. Don't you know anything? Haven't you been listening? God doesn't come and go. God lasts. He's creator of all you can see or imagine. He doesn't get tired out, doesn't pause to catch his breath, and he knows everything inside and out. He energizes those who get tired, gives fresh strength to dropouts, for even young people tire and drop out. Young folk in their prime stumble and fall. But those who wait upon God get fresh strength. They spread their wings and soar like eagles. They run and don't get tired. They walk and don't lag behind. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we're probably all familiar with the age-old question about the glass of water. So how, uh, do you see the glass as half full or half empty? How you answer that question is supposed to give a perspective on your whole world view. If you are an optimistic half full person, then you will most likely be hopeful about the future and see the good in just about everything. Half empty people tend to consider themselves as realists and are bracing for the worst. Now I have trouble saying which one of these I am because I happen to be an analyzer. I say it depends on the situation, whether the glass is half full or half empty. Is, where is this glass of water? Is it on the kitchen counter near the sink or the fridge? Uh, or is it somewhere hot and dry? Have I been on a long run? How thirsty am I? When is the last time I had a drink? Can you relate to not quite seeing things one way or, in, or the other? I have to say that often when it comes to the dark realities I have learned and faced, especially in the areas of sex trafficking of our young people in Washington State and the brokenness of our foster care system, I can feel like one half empty, stumbling and parched in a dry and weary land. Here are some hard realities from some credible sources I would like to share. The FBI estimates that more than 100,000 children are currently being commercially sex, exploited for sex in the US. In King County, an estimated 500 to 700 children are forced into prostitution every year. Foster kids are the most vulnerable. Different organizations say that between 70 to 80% of minors in the sex trade have been in the foster care system. By the way, foster care numbers are dramatically increasing in Washington State. In 2019, we were at 5,200, and by 2020, it was up to 8,100. 
according to the state ombuds office, there were 1,863 hotel and overnight office stays for children who were difficult to place. And these were 220 children who were difficult to place in licensed homes. So where are the foster parents? How would this feel if you were one of these kids who it appears no one wants? Traffickers, also referred to as pimps, will prey on those they identify as most vulnerable. And that is why foster youth have greater risks of becoming victims. During the process known as grooming, the trafficker's goal will be to gain a kid's trust. And they usually do this through lots of gifts and attention. They provide for their needs. They tell them what they want to hear, and they isolate them. Many foster kids and teens, they don't have trusting adults in their lives. And when they are left without families to make them feel loved and cared for, and they're moved from one placement to another to another, the attention they crave and the stability they desire can easily be met by a trafficker. Foster kids also have a history of a paycheck being associated with them because they are aware that their foster parents get money from the state for their care. So these kids frequently do not recognize their true value and worth. Others have feelings of hopelessness and depression that are deep. Homelessness is another tremendous area of vulnerability for foster young people. In Washington State, 37% of youth who have experienced foster care have also experienced homelessness before the age of 17. Also in Washington, nearly one in four young adults will be arrested within one year of aging out of foster care. This history of trauma, including abuse and neglect, is, that's just what the traffickers are seeking to exploit, and foster youth have become an easy target. So there is so much more I could share, but let me pause there. Does this make you want to weep? It does for me. This is wrong. It breaks the heart of God. We need to sit with this pain. We need to lament. Sometimes when I meet with social workers, I take them out to coffee, and all I do is listen. And I grieve with them. I grieve with them about their clients. I grieve with them about the situations they are in. There is a time that we need to acknowledge this and this deep need. Let's take another look at Isaiah 40, 29 through 31. And he knows everything. He knows everything inside and out. He energizes those who get tired. He gives fresh strength to dropouts. For even young people tire and they drop out. Young folk in their prime stumble and fall. But those who wait upon God get fresh strength. They spread their wings and they soar like eagles, they run and they don't get tired. They walk and they don't lag behind. What a promise. Those who wait upon God get fresh strength. The CEB says those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. The Hebrew word for wait on the Lord is a juicy word. It's kavah. It means to look for and expect. It's a waiting with eager expectancy that God will come through. This is a waiting with action behind it. 
let's look at now who we are waiting upon. That's what's really important, isn't it? And I, we want to look back into Isaiah earlier in the chapter, Isaiah 40, and I would highly encourage you today to read the whole chapter. It's amazing, and the message version is really cool too. So earlier in Isaiah 40, God is the one who measures all the waters of the earth in the palm of his hand and collects every particle of dust on the earth in a basket. He knows the exact weight of all the mountains and islands and hills. He sits on a throne above the earth and he dwells in a tent made from the canopy of all the heavens. He causes earthly rulers to wither with his breath. He brings out the stars every night and he calls them each by name. I love that. That's my favorite. This is the God on whom we wait. We wait on him because he is God and we are not. He is our awesome creator and he can accomplish what we cannot. When we wait on and hope on God, we get fresh strength. Our strength is renewed. It's actually an exchange, our weakness for his strength. Paul highlights this again in 2 Corinthians. When he pleads with God to take away his physical limitations, after pleading three times with God, God responds, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. So, there have been many times in this ministry when I have had to admit to God and to others, I just don't have what it takes to meet the need. Whether it was a request for basic home goods that kept coming and coming while the world was shut down during COVID, working out a complicated um, and new inventory system, putting together complicated Furniture pieces along with foster youth, and my brain just doesn't work that way. I'm not spatially gifted. <laughs> um, speaking to groups of social workers over Zoom, uh, meeting with two trafficked um, young men from Mexico, and they only, they didn't know any English and I didn't know any Spanish. That was interesting. And even my own limitations, like ongoing migraines, I am slowly, slowly learning to surrender my limitations and agenda and trust in God's timing and provision. One of the reasons why I just love this Isaiah passage is, is that it all, I've always, since I was little, loved eagles. And when I was a little girl, they were actually endangered. And we would go long periods of time without seeing any. And then when we finally would spot one, it was so thrilling. And it was just a sign of hope. Did you know that female eagles have a wingspan of up to eight feet? And together, their, their wings only weigh like two pounds. They're just an incredible creation. Um, they, when they just fly around, they fly at about 45 miles an hour. But in hunting mode, they can accelerate up to 100 miles an hour. They know how, with those enormous wings, to make use of the warm updrafts near hills and mountains to, uh, to circle and soar up to heights of over 10,000 feet. They only have to flap their wings between 3 to 15% of, of the time. 
that is incredibly efficient. <laughs> and they use very strong winds to their advantage. They know just how to spread their wings and take full advantage of the wind to effortlessly soar. It's all about positioning. Such a neat picture for us when it comes to living in tune with the call of the Spirit of God. So today we're so excited to announce our new ministry name, which is Fostering Hope Seattle. And you all got that on a card today. This is still a ministry of set free, but we are stepping fully into this mission that God has called us to, to encourage and equip foster you to thrive into adulthood. I want to share with you some ways that God has positioned us to serve him in powerful ways. About two years ago, while our monthly foster family support group and dinner was growing, I started looking around and wondering what was being done for foster teens and young adults. I was involved in Set Free, and I was a mother of four teenagers, and I was really aware of their vulnerabilities and concern. So I asked to be put in touch with a social worker who had clients in that age group. And I went and asked just a simple question. What can we do to offer support and stability? At the time, she was so completely overwhelmed. She had over 20 in her caseload. Can you imagine? And uh, she just told me about one teen girl, 18 years old, that was moving out on her own and just really didn't have anything. So I got on the phone with someone I knew that happened to be downsizing. And together, we met this need. And I loaded my minivan. And we, I went, and as I was unloading some pieces of furniture, the social worker came out and she started crying. <laughs> and she said her client had never received anything of quality that she could call her own. And it mattered. It really did. And, but this was the seed that began fostering hope. But really, it began with just asking a simple question and caring. I am thankful to report that in this past year, we have supported on average one foster youth a week, aged 18 to 21 years old, who's aged out of their foster home. Sometimes it's just a cleaning supply basket chock full of useful items. Other times it's a grocery card, or it could be an apartment full of furniture. But let me tell you, in the midst of it all, sometimes it can be very messy. And there are many things about this ministry I cannot predict or control, even though I would really like to. <laughs> uh, many foster youth have not ever been on their own, and so they don't know what they need, as you can imagine. And they give me lists that can be challenging to decipher, like kitchen stuff or kitchen appliances, organizers or coat hanger thingies, and I have to figure out what that is. Um, other times, they do not believe we will actually follow through, and they need lots of reassurance. See, you see, they have been let down by most of the adults in their lives over and over again. So one time, uh, there was a lot of back and forth with a particular young lady, and we finally worked out the list that, of what she needed. We loaded the church van and went to West Seattle. And finally, when we were unloading, she couldn't believe that we actually brought what we promised we would bring. And she, in the midst of all of that, was so amazed that she started to tell us her story of heartbreak and abandonment. And because we did, 
just the simple thing of doing what we said we would do, it opened up an opportunity for trust to be built, for her to be safe, to share her story with us. And it was such a privilege. Another time, John and I struggled <laughs> for over an hour to unfinished um, unfurnished a living room of four foster teens. We struggled to put together this futon that was difficult. And um, two of the teenagers offered to help us. And so together we were working on it. And it gave us the opportunity for them to start telling us their stories. And we heard all about their jobs and their dreams for the future. And it ended up to be a really neat time that we'll always remember. And finally, when we got it put together, all four came out and sat down all together. I wish I had a picture because I've never seen anyone so happy to sit on a futon before. It was really amazing. So, and I want you to know that every teen or young adult we work with, we always share with them that there is a God who loves and cares for them. And the people in this church do too. Uh, so, as you might imagine, there's always an ebb and a flow to the things in our supply room. <laughs> Sometimes I think, oh, it's way too full, and other times I'm sure that we just don't have enough. But I, behind the scenes, over and over again, get to witness the miracles of God's provision and how God provides. We have community leaders, neighbors, friends who donate. We've had... Queen Anne realtors who've given items that their clients have left behind. I know many from this church. I could tell you many stories. The word has spread. Once I had a request for a vacuum cleaner that came through one day, and I didn't have any, and I had to say that. But then hours later, someone offered a vacuum cleaner. And so literally, I get to be a pass-through all in one day, pick up and delivery. It was great. It's just fun to witness um, those kind of miracles. And another time, a foster youth came with his social worker to shop in our room, and he started asking, well, where does all this great stuff come from? And his social worker was the quickest to respond, and he said, it comes from people in this church who care for you, donate and care for you in your future. And I thought it was so neat that he, that came from him and not from me. I want to tell you about one couple from this church who felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to offer a space for a foster youth to live at extremely low cost. They sacrificed. They mentored and cared for a young woman who had been bounced around to 60 different placements in 20 years. Can you imagine? It was a difficult and messy time. Sleep was lost, and really some things were broken. But through their firm boundaries, through shared meals, through prayers offered, through long walks and talks, this precious one knew stability and love. And we have faith that that is carried with her. And what this couple do, I know, had a lasting impact on her, and I know it did on some of the social workers who witnessed this story unfold. And they still talk about it with me today. And it was amazing what they, that gift they gave. I also know that there are foster parents right now who are standing in the gap, offering a loving home and a family a great sacrifice. And we are so thankful for you. 
Our Set Free team has asked God to strengthen our faith, to envision a world where vulnerable youth recognize their true value and worth, experience the unconditional love of Jesus, and grow into their full potential. When we hope in a God who measures earth's water in the palm of his hands, who calls out each star by name and collects every particle of dust, we can pray with absolute faith for this vision. One of our greatest hopes and prayers right now is for more relational ministry to open up with our foster youth, and I hope you could join me in praying for that this year. There has been some interest in starting some cooking classes and some budgeting classes, and we are working with social workers that they are just so overburdened with two to three times the caseloads that they should be. So we are prayerfully waiting on the Lord. We're poised, we're ready, and watching for opportunities. Isaiah says, when we wait on God, we will run and not get tired. We will walk and not lag behind. I believe that God has given myself, our team, our church, a heart, a passion, and resources for this ministry to holistically love foster kids. We know God cares deeply for orphans. There is a multitude of verses in the Bible about the fatherless. And if you don't believe me, Google it. You will find them. In fact, God calls himself the orphan helper who hears every cry and brings justice. In James 1.27, we are told that part of pure religion is caring for the orphans. And those are, and, and those are the children who do not have the provision and care of a family and their protection. By loving foster kids and families, we are doing what God has called us to do in his word. So the need is growing as well as the opportunity. Kevin Austin, executive director of Set Free, who you've heard preach here before, would like to see our fostering hope ministry model replicated in churches across the country as few are meeting this need for foster youth. Uh, on the home front, I'm having several DCYF offices around King County um, contact me because they need support for their foster youth. I've had the east side, I've had a West Seattle. Uh, there's, the interest is growing. We're in conversations about bringing more free Methodist churches from our conferences on board uh, so that they can help us meet this need. We need funds for more support hours and internship hours. And then there's concrete needs, like we really need a box truck for moving furniture. We need funds for new mattresses, which is part of our ministry model, and furniture as the needs arise. So you can see um, how your gifts can directly bless these foster youth at our Set Free page. There's an Amazon wish list. There's lots of ways that you can give, and there's lots of ways you can serve. Um, on this Freedom Sunday, though, I would just like to challenge all of us to wait actively, wait expectantly on God by hoping, by praying, by giving, and especially by serving these precious ones in Jesus' name. So I have some questions now for you to ponder and dig in. I hope you really do. Number one, what are some of the things you are waiting on the Lord for, and how are you actively doing it? 
Number two, describe a time when you soared and ran or walked with the Spirit, feeling especially strengthened to do the work God had for you to do. Number three, starting on Freedom Sunday today, how will you engage deeper with issues around human trafficking and our mission to support and love those involved in foster care? Will you pray with me? Dear God, we bring before you our empty and our half-empty cups. As we see and hear about the awful brokenness around us, we bring before you our great needs, the great needs of a foster system in need of redemption, of children and youth in need of protection and comfort, of social workers, of foster parents in need of your renewal and hope. Raise up more people to do this important work, I pray, Father. We bring before you our own fear, our doubt, and weaknesses to you. For we are all fully known and loved by you. As your children, you have rescued and set us free. Jesus, will you fill our cups to overflowing today with your living water so that we can be recognized as your people of hope, energized to do the work you've called us to do. We pray this in your strong name. Amen.